Hey, what's going on? Welcome to The Doug Show. My name is Doug Cunnington. And in this episode, we talked to Monica Lint about how she grew her travel blog to over $10,000 per month, significantly over 10,000, by the way. We actually share more details in the interview here, but she's earning over five figures per month from this travel blog. And this is, you know, of course, after she took a major hit from the COVID and quarantine time period, the site has not only recovered, but it's doing better than ever. Monica is very awesome. I had a great time interviewing her earlier this year. We talked about Affiliate and understanding what pages on your site earn the most money. And actually, that is why she started the company. She's the co-founder of Affiliate, and she was trying to figure out what pages on her site were earning money. Couple cool things about what she's doing here. Number one, this site was a hobby site. We go back to the origin. It was kind of a hobby site about travel. She has a specific approach about how she finds topic ideas and how she writes the content. And she doesn't do probably as much keyword research as you might think. The other part is she doesn't publish that often. And currently, right now, she only has 120 articles on her site. And she's only been publishing maybe like once every few months or something like that. Again, we get into some of the details, but it's sort of counterintuitive in many different ways. Now, before we get to the interview with Monica here, quick shout out to our sponsor, Otis Global. That's O-D-Y-S, the source for premium age domains with strong branding and powerful backlinks. The feature domain for today is US Army for Life. And the domain used to discuss things uh, related to the military with a focus on equipment, which has been used by the Army, as well as discussing events in the news that could have an impact on military personnel. So it's really, it's almost like a lifestyle kind of blog. And there was a section, a small section of the site dedicated to hunting. It was created back in 2016. It's six years old. It has a domain rating of 12 and a domain authority of 37. Very brandable name. And I think the site was in touch for a few years and I would look to add more articles. I think there's no shortage at this point in time of current events that you could cover that would be impactful to military personnel and their families. I would say you probably can go pretty deep on that. And if you're interested in that topic area or you are in the military, you probably would have you know, more than enough topics to write about. Additionally, if you are a hunter or you understand hunting or have some interest in it, you probably could go that route and cover a lot of different topics in the product area, in the informational topic area. And there is a host, just so many different ideas when you get into the details of hunting and planning and the different places that you can hunt. And uh, while I understand that's not for everyone, for some people, it is, you know, part of their lifestyle and that is what they're into. And they think about, you know, they, they think about, uh, practicing, uh, like say target practice with archery, right? Uh, so they're getting ready for elk bow season, for example. So if you're in that 
area and, and you understand it and that is something you're interested in, you could cover so many different topics. So no shortage of informational ideas to go from and tons of products as well. There are 173 unique referring domains. 93 of those are do follow. High authority backlinks are from all over popular mechanics, 3deers.org, iHeart.com, and so on. There's plenty of them out there. Still indexed in Google. And if you join Otis using my affiliate link, you can get $100 in your account and I might earn a commission if you make a purchase. So thanks a lot for the support. And let's get to the interview with Monica. Monica, welcome. How's it going today? Going pretty good. Thanks for having me, Doug. I'm excited to be back on with you. Very good. And you you were on the show before, so we'll link up so people can check out the uh, initial sort of inaugural visit that you were on. But today we're talking about this travel blog. So I'm curious uh, just how you ended up starting the blog in general and the the origin story. Definitely. So I am an American living in Germany. And when I moved over here, I don't know, maybe nine years ago or so, um, I started this blog kind of thinking that it would be a chronicle of my life living in Europe. I started with kind of like diary style entries of like, here's what I did today. Like I took a walk here. Um, and over time, I kind of evolved to the content of the website from being, you know, just about me and a personal uh, kind of like, yeah, my personal story to being slightly more useful for other people. So I started to kind of publish things about uh, trips that I took, useful travel tips and things like that. And over time, I, you know, I would take years off, come back to it. And I started to notice that the site was like, actually getting some meaningful traffic. So it had something like 30,000 monthly visitors. And at the time I had no idea, like, is this a lot? Like, um, is it not? How are people finding this? So I kind of accidentally SEO'd the website to some degree. Um, and then I, you know, like a lot of people, I listened to Pat Flynn and I learned about affiliate marketing a bit, started to put some affiliate links on the website and one year when doing my taxes, I saw like, hey, I made 2K this year from like, you know, referring hotels that I'd stayed at. And I realized, okay, if I did this a little bit more intentionally, you know, maybe I could make something out of this. And uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of like the origin story. And from there, I had kind of one year right before the pandemic where I published I don't know, maybe 20 or 30 articles, uh, which is a pretty substantial block of the monetized content that exists today. And yeah, since finally we are getting back from the pandemic and that content has had time to rank, that's uh, kind of where the, the revenue is coming from. That's awesome. And if I heard right, you started the blogs in something like 2013 or so? Yeah, I mean, I... I don't remember exactly when I started it. I think when I look at the earliest posts, I think it was more like six years ago. I moved to Germany nine years ago. So it was somewhere, somewhere in there. Uh, but it's, let's say it's not a recent project. Uh, it's, yeah. it had its origins. Yeah. At, at least five years ago, if not longer. And then did you have a writing background or anything like that? Or was it sort of a struggle and you were just, like you said, you were just, blogging like, hey, I went to these stores and 
<laughs> took some pictures or something like that, right? Yeah. No, I mean, I've always liked writing. I was, uh, I was like best grade in English class, I guess. <laughs> so that's something that was never really particularly difficult to me. Um, but definitely I would say a big part of it is that I picked up photography in the meantime. So pretty much all of the content on the blog, it is based on personal experience. I've never hired writers to work on it. Like 99.9% .9 of the images on the website are mine. So uh, yeah, definitely the fact that I could supply my own images. I have a secret hypothesis that Google likes them, but I have no data to back that up. So <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> gotcha. And then you were listening to Smart Passive Income and you started to connect some dots. And I'm, I'm also curious about like the length of the content. So I'm jumping around a little bit, but you, you mm -hmm. were blogging a little bit. You were gathering uh, some information, some tactical ideas and starting to integrate it. So kind of a, a, I'm making a statement and I'm going to have you comment on it. So any thoughts about how all that came together as you started to change the content so that you could earn some money? I mean, honestly, I never really thought about word count or the length of the content until, let's say, more recently, but I still don't think about it very much because it's just me kind of trying to fill in the gaps of like information that I wish I had when I was planning my trips. So a lot of the content, you know, it's not like it's just 2000 words and like, okay, made it to 2000 words and Google's going to be happy with that. There's a lot of stuff that is like between three and 10,000 words, just because, you know, you go somewhere, let's say for two weeks and you want to provide like all the information in one place, then like, that's how much it takes uh, to, to really make that comprehensive. Um, and I think that's the story of one of my like earliest posts that like started to rank and generate some money, which doesn't today. And that was an article about spending two weeks in Japan. Um, I think it used to be my top traffic article. It's definitely not anymore. Um, but that one, you know, kind of just recommending like where I stayed and, and really having something super comprehensive, uh, at the time, fewer people were also writing that kind of stuff. So it, I think it might still be page one, but no one goes there. <laughs> At okay. least not now. Yeah. Got it. And as we actually, I'm going to pause here just for a second. So going back and it's okay if you don't remember this exactly, but I'm curious about the traffic trajectory and you, you could take us all the way through the present day. And I'm sure maybe the first couple of years, like you said, you were, you were in and you were, you were out of uh, blogging for a bit. So yeah. How did it go in the first few years? And then where are we at now, especially considering the pandemic and what that did to travel websites? Oh yeah. So yeah, early on, honestly, I don't remember the traffic very much. I'm sure I could pull it up in Google Analytics. I do remember looking at that 30K a month and just being like, I don't, I genuinely don't know if this is a lot or not. Uh, where does this fit in, in the world of website traffic? Um, and then, you know, from there, it was really just a matter of taking it a little bit more intentionally and fixing some of the on-page SEO that uh, I clearly didn't know what I was doing. So my favorite example of this is I have an article about things to do in Berlin. Um, it's ranking on page one right now. Uh, I live here, so uh, it has you know, 50 tips of things that I have pretty much done all of them. Um, and when I first wrote this article, 
for each of the 50 things, I used bold text instead of like H2s, which I think is what it is today. I'm not sure. Um, And once I made that change, it was like it immediately shot from like, you know, deep in the depths of Google to like, you know, being page one or two. And this was like a a big wake up call for me. Like, okay, I clearly did not understand basic formatting. If I go back and kind of improve the existing content, like probably more people will start to see it. So, and then there was, there was definitely various points where I think you can tell like Google starts to love your website and like, you know, you just see the traffic growing, growing, growing. And then there is a plateau at some point and you're like, okay, what's going on? Like, did I reach some kind of a maximum for my site and the current content or, or whatever, you know, and then it kind of goes up again. So I think I noticed definitely several of these waves where, you know, the traffic was just increasing quite a bit, but unfortunately, because of the fact that this really started to pick up, especially when I was publishing more in 2019, I never got to see the summer traffic potential because travel is so seasonal, all of the content that I publish, I pretty much only expect it to get visitors like one year later. Let's say I go to Italy in July, I write the content, but I don't expect anyone's actually visited until the travel season next year. So in that case, I just didn't know what was possible. Uh, I had in my mind, you know, after seeing kind of the revenue and the traffic that it could be a 10K per month uh, possibility that the site could reach that in the later summer months, except for the pandemic. Um, and the pandemic cut out 90 to 95% of the traffic in a matter of like three weeks. Wow. So it was pretty devastating. Um, and that year I survived, survived. Uh, <laughs> I actually had to like use my savings, but the only thing that converted was like a little bit of Amazon, but basically everything else was like absolutely nothing. Um, but yeah, thankfully this year now it's uh, about a hundred K month sessions in the last 28 days, according to Google, uh, Google analytics. So of course, you know, some of it is not there, but that's, that's what it looks like. Um, and yeah, I'm excited to see like, where does it go this summer? Once, once we're really in full swing, I would say the months of like August and September kind of tend to be the high points, at least for a site like mine focused on like Northern hemisphere, Americans traveling to Europe, et cetera. Okay. And one thing you said that was really interesting is you publish a piece of content, which it sounds like you go on a trip Um, So you experience everything, you're able to take pictures, you have more information, maybe some reflection afterwards. So you write the article and you don't even expect to get any traffic for another year. Have you always been sort of that forward looking and able to like do stuff now for a payoff, like way in the future? And you you don't even know if it's going to work, right? So is that sort of your personality generally? (laughs) (laughs) maybe I don't know I mean at least what I like if I was running the site more actively and publishing more actively then I would be trying to publish content uh, at least you know one quarter in advance Um, but realistically let's say that you go somewhere in the height of the summer and then you only you know actually uh, write about it a month later take some time to rank. And by that point, people are maybe already traveling and they're not planning anymore. So 
inevitably you miss you miss that season. So I I don't know if I've always been that way. I just the fact that I wrote so much stuff without ever expecting to have anyone like read it or make any money. <laughs> I guess that just means that like the motivations at the beginning were different. And of course, these days it's great to make money. It's great to like reread the stuff that I wrote and kind of like remember everything because my memory is actually quite bad. <laughs> so that helps. Um, but yeah, definitely there is a very delayed gratification in the space of travel. I think, especially when you're talking about seasonal destinations, which a lot of Europe is, people don't like to come here during the winter because it's depressing. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Got it. So let's move on to the revenue. And I think you'll, you'll, people will be surprised about the revenue split. So what, what is the revenue split as much as you could break it down or feel comfortable uh, sharing with us? Yeah. So, um, I mean, I would have to pull up the, the ad revenue. I don't know exactly what it is right now because I haven't checked it that recently, but it is over 3k a month is ad revenue. And then the affiliate side of things generated in the last 30 days is over 10k. Um, and the important thing for anyone who's thinking about starting a travel site now is that certain types of travel affiliates do have higher cancellation rates. So it's not like returning a physical product from Amazon. You know, people cancel travel plans or reschedule them, not with your cookie all the time. Uh, so depending on the exact program, you know, this can be anywhere from 10 to 30 or even 40%. Um, so there are different types. Some are higher, some are lower in terms of cancellation rate. So that's key to kind of keep in mind. But yeah, so at least in terms of what I refer to it as generated revenue in the last 30 days is roughly 13K. Um, and then, of course, I expect some of that to uh, to go away uh, when it comes to like cancellations and stuff. But hopefully still still over 10K net getting paid out over the course of the rest of the summer once people travel. And I was about to ask, what, what sort of your estimate or historically, how much is canceled? So it sounds like maybe about 20, 30% or so. Yeah, it depends. So um, in my experience, when it comes to things like hotels, so like I, for example, like I went on a safari and now I can, am able to like write about, oh, this is the place I stayed. If you're going to South Africa, here's, here's like a recommended spot. Um, and so when I refer accommodation, uh, the cancellation rate is much higher because uh, I think a lot of these providers, they even encourage people to cancel or find something cheaper. You know, th they also have like the up to 24 hours in advance, you can cancel with no fees, you know, so there's a lot of incentive almost for people to cancel and rebook. So I think hotels are quite high. Um, it's less so with things like experiences that people kind of book last minute. So like, uh, for example, I went to Lisbon and I did a food tour. People don't tend to cancel that kind of stuff as much because they only book it one week in advance. Whereas like with something like accommodation, people will book this, you know, you see like six, 12 months in advance and you're like, think to yourself, I'm never going to see this money because that person's life is going to change, you know, before they end up going here. So it depends uh, for every single kind of different type of uh, activity, but yeah, I, I would say I hope to stay over 10K. So less, maybe like 
25% is like a safe, safe bet averaged amongst uh, the different programs. Got it. And just to highlight, so about 25 to 30% of the revenue is from ad revenue and then affiliate makes up the rest. Can you tell us about how many different affiliate programs you're a part of? Roughly. Okay. I'm like visualizing my little dashboard. I think maybe it's like 10. I'm not sure. Um, but there's definitely, you know, some concentration. So like in terms of travel affiliate, there's like loads of different things that you can make money with. And I certainly only tap into a very small, small number of those. Um, but the main things that I focus on are either accommodation or experiences. Um, cause those are both things I can do them myself. I, I try to kind of focus on things that I've done or experienced myself. Um, I think it helps also with conversion when you have like pictures that you took, like that show, oh, there's a person here or whatever, you know, it also lends credibility. So those are kind of the two, the two main things uh, for me. And I would say those are like, those are like a pretty substantial part. There is Amazon, by the way, like I think 1K a month from Amazon, something because I do talk about like photography equipment that I use, but that's like not a big focus. It's just kind of like a nice to have, uh, but I, I don't write any more Amazon content uh, these days, if Got possible. <laughs> yeah. And for actually just side note, food tours are great um, to see a city. I, I, I've done a few like walking food tours. So what, what kind of food tours do you do? Are they like bigger in scope or which ones do you check out? Yeah. Well, actually the one that I just did in Lisbon was the first time I've ever been on a food tour. So I was kind of planning, okay, if I'm going to go here and I want to like, because I, I have a freelance business as a travel writer. So if I want to be able to like expense some of the uh, trip, then I need to also produce content on it so that it, you know, fits into the business. So I was like, okay, we do a food tour. Um, and include that, but I've never hadn't done one before that. It just looked like one of the options when I was thinking, okay, what could I have as an experience and then later be able to promote on the blog if I like it. So in this case, it was like three hour food tour, like with a local of the city and you try, yeah, basically the things that people who live there eat that are kind of unique. So it was nice. There wasn't, it wasn't too much walking actually, like when okay. Lisbon is very hilly. So like you need some strategy to like yeah. not end up totally exhausted walking up all of the hills. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. And I've done, we did one in Seattle, I guess it was all the Pacific Northwest different trips though, but we did one in Seattle and one in Portland. And just like you're saying, you go to the neighborhood spots, you get to try a little food at multiple different places. Mm -hmm. And different foods, of course, if you just went there to eat, you would have to order like the yeah, whole totally. entree and you just want like one ravioli or something like that. Yeah, so you yeah. get to try like 10 things at night, walk a couple miles and it's fun. Yeah, so. it's super fun. And also like tours are just in general, like for anyone listening, uh, the kind of standard rate for tours is 8%. So it's a lot better than anything you'll get on Amazon, like from a affiliate commission perspective. So if you're willing to invest uh, the money, you know, I, I like to think about it like break even. So, okay, if I, I can have this experience, you know, maybe I have to spend 300 bucks if there's three of us going, 
But okay, there's a reasonable path that maybe in a year or two, actually, this one experience could break even from the affiliate commissions that I pay that I get for it. So nice. that's it's almost like traveling for free on a two yeah. <laughs> two yeah. year time horizon. That's uh yeah, that's a great way to look at it. And yeah, so people check out food tours. Um, don't let the price scare you off. It's like an activity. You get a little history lesson. Usually, they tell you about the neighborhoods and all that stuff. Um, and just a side note, thinking of other tours, we have done two or three Segway tours. Have, have you done those? Really? Have you been on a Segway? No, but as a cyclist, when I see people <laughs> in Segways, I I shake my fist at them. So okay, <laughs> I fair. don't know, yeah. but uh, I'm sure it's fun. Um, I I think it sounds a little bit scary, though. I don't yeah. know. It. They had us do like a little, like a training run in the parking lot to make sure we were uh-huh. able to like get around. But yeah, little, you know, small, I don't know if they were little kids, but smaller people and, you know, elderly folks were like in the tour. So like everyone kind of got the hang of it and there were no mm-hmm. in- incidences, but um, those are really fun even just to check it out. And I think the best one that we did, it was in the in Washington, D.C., like, uh, th- what do they call it? The mall area? Is that what they call it in D.C.? I guess. Like all the I stuff. I haven't been there the monuments in a long whatever. time. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, it, but it's many miles. So mm-hmm. it's, it would take a really long time to walk it. Mm-hmm. But on the Segway, it's a little faster. But I appreciate, as a cyclist, you don't want to see Segways <laughs> in the bike lane or whatever. People right? are just not very well trained, you know? <laughs> so their behavior is kind of erratic. It's very similar to these scooters. I don't know if you have these much in the U.S., yes. I suppose. And yeah. they're... I hate them. <laughs> but anyways. Okay. And as yeah. normal, I go off on some weird tangent that's unrelated to um, what we're talking about. But... We can't, we can't reel it back in. So we're talking revenue. You have several different um, affiliate programs, which is great. It is more concentrated, like you said, for s- certain ones seem to pay out more. Um, one thing you mentioned is there are some other affiliate programs that maybe you're not into to test out. I'm just curious, like if you were to list out maybe a couple others, what are some other ways travel bloggers or influencers are able to monetize via affiliate that you're not doing specifically? Yeah. So when it comes to this, I actually don't share this because I have, I have customers who are in these niches doing well with things that I'm not doing. So that's why I, yeah, I only talk about the programs I'm in my, and my own experience. Otherwise it would be kind of unfair to kind of like, you know, share that sure. kind of knowledge based on stuff that's not my own site. So that's why I just focus on photography, gear, accommodation, and tours. Those are like the three, let's say, main pillars of the affiliate revenue of my site. Got it. And just for context for people, which we'll talk about Affiliate a little bit, but Monica, you have uh, basically inside information because you meet with clients, so you know good affiliate programs. But um, And it's okay if you don't want to answer this, but if one was interested, a person probably could just go look at affiliate programs in um, travel marketplaces or just do some research and a person could probably find some different options, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I never really used these metrics personally. Um, But like what we do have is on our website, we uh, produce affiliate program lists 
based on kind of reverse engineering the top sites uh, in a given niche. So let's say top top 20, top 50, and we have like a tool that basically goes in and just finds out what programs they're linking to. And then we will rank them based on the most linked programs. So this is like how you can kind of do it with publicly available data. And you can approximate something if we don't have a niche covered that you're interested in. You can also like, you know, go to Ahrefs, you know, export some, you know, the linked domains. And if you're in the biz long enough, you will certainly learn to like notice kind of like what, uh, you know, what websites, what uh, affiliate tracking domains they may be linking to. And that's like a good way to kind of like reverse engineer. But of course, you will never know with 100% certainty. Um, but yeah, that's what right. I would suggest to people. If you know that a site is profitable for whatever reason, then you can Perfect. you can do it like that as well. All right. Thanks. And didn't mean to pressure you to share anything. So I hope we danced around. No, it's, that it's well totally enough. it's totally okay. fine. Yeah, I just want to like. Got it. Anything that I know that I wouldn't otherwise know, I don't share. That's that's the the that mantra. Totally let's say. Sense. Yeah. Okay. So let's shift over to the content area a little bit. Now, it sounds like initially you weren't really doing much keyword research or thinking about it. And reading between the lines, it sounds like you're typically writing content where you go through an experience because you went on a trip and you've done several things. So even that isn't necessarily like strongly keyword driven, it's driven by your experiences. So how did you approach keywords? When did you start looking at them? How much do you think about it when you're going on a trip and all those details about just generating the topic ideas? Yeah, I think people who are really professional at travel blogging, which <laughs> I don't know if I would say I'm like that professional because I don't do it full time. Um, but a lot of people do um, plan the content they're going to write in advance and then maybe supplement that with stuff that they realize needs to get filled in as they're there. So for example, let's say I, you know, I went to Lisbon recently, if I was going to do an article on things to do in Lisbon, then I would go research and be like, okay, what are the, the must have things that my list definitely needs to include because they're top experiences, make sure that I go there as well to capture, you know, the photos that I can include. So there is definitely a degree of like research that let's say maybe I'm thinking, okay, I want to publish at least one piece of content per trip that I take. So it fits into the business. Then that's kind of how I'll do it. Um, and I think it, it really, it varies so much by the destination. Uh, so for example, let's say I was going to Paris. I would not try to write things to do in Paris because it's so competitive. Um, my site doesn't have very much content about France, you know, <laughs> so yeah. like there are a lot of things that kind of play into that. Um, but, you know, maybe I would do like, I don't know, top Paris museums and maybe you can buy skip the line tickets. I have no idea. That's just a hypothesis. Um, you know, so I might take a different angle, look for something that is a little bit more competition, lower competition and see if I can like weave that into the trip a little bit. Um, but at some point, and, and when I'm there, I do try to like take photos of like things where I'm like, ah, maybe I'm going to need this. <laughs> so like, uh, make sure it gets captured. Um, but yeah, there is, there is like keyword research involved, but I think at some point you just kind of know, okay, this is a major city. If I try to write about this type of topic, it will never rank. Um, 
at least not without a ton of supporting content or whatever. So I'm not sure if this answers your question. It's a little bit, uh, you know, touchy feely maybe for me uh, because the every destination is different. How expensive it is to travel to every destination is different. The type of traveler to every destination is different. You know, some people, if they go to Paris Disneyland, maybe they're families. If they go to, you know, Paris best district for nightlife, then they're, you know, cheap people who want to stay in hostels. I have no idea, but you know, you, you have to go a bit deeper to understand who is the type of reader for each of these pieces to find out how can it be efficiently monetized? And also how can I actually rank for it because it's not too competitive. And then I try to kind of like weave that into the trip if possible. Perfect. Okay. Yeah. That does make sense. You know, you're, you're aiming for long tail keywords so that you can actually rank for it. And also, like you said, you're trying to do things that you're, you're going to do anyway. It sounds like. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I mean, I think the, the thing is, is when you have a lot of patience, you can write something and like, I've had content that I wrote and it didn't rank for like two years, but then it does. And like, you're like, okay, Google finally decided that even though this is the only article I have on this destination, that it's really good. And now it ranks me. And as long as I'm not like all upset about the fact that it didn't rank after a couple months, then I just treat it like any of that content has the potential to eventually rank if it's good enough. And learning what's good enough, I think, is what takes everybody a lot of time, I think, in, in probably any niche. Okay. And I guess the, the second part of the approach, like you mentioned, you it's a little touchy-feely. So you've kind of just internalized what keywords could work, the monetization, and you, as you're, it sounds like as you're like walking through a city or a destination, you're thinking like how all those pieces come together and you don't know exactly, but you're laying the groundwork, taking pictures and thinking, and then you can pull it together once you get home maybe. Yeah. I mean, the big thing, which we talked about in the previous, uh, in the previous discussion, uh, that we had together, uh, was that because I'm tracking how much revenue each piece of content makes and also metrics like revenue per visitor and earnings per click, you know, there is a sense that I can develop of what different types of content, uh, has in terms of earning potential. For example, uh, things to do in a city, like things to do in Berlin. Um, it has a lot of like search volume, but a lot of people also Google for that kind of stuff before they're even physically in a city or when they're deciding, do I even want to go here? So the intent is very split between, you know, the aspirational visitors and the people who are like, I'm here and I didn't plan anything in advance. And now I need to find out what to do today. So like the metrics are also, they have different characteristics uh, than the type of content that people will like really, you know, look for during the travel planning process. So by being aware of all of those metrics, you know, it becomes more intuitive what potential, you know, all of these variables come together in terms of a piece of content that can be monetized, especially from an affiliate standpoint. Got it. And then are there other sort of types of content or templates or ways that you look at content? So one of them, like you said, is things to do. Uh, what are some others? Yeah. I mean, as I said, like my main other thing is like accommodation. So like, especially if like 
I stay somewhere special, like, for example, going on safari, if I am looking for or want to research, like staying in a safari lodge, by the way, if you've never done it, it costs like $300 per person per night. It's very expensive. Um, So, well, when I see something that's expensive, I think "Mm, good commission. So I I can kind of like invest in that a little bit and be like, okay, hopefully, you know, if I just uh, sell enough of these over the next couple of years, then I will break even. So things like that. I think specialty accommodation is like a great example. So safari lodges and Kruger. I haven't written this article, but I imagine that somebody is out there making money with an, a keyword like that. Um, so that's like one one example. Um, I mean, I, I guess the big thing I would suggest to people is like next time you're planning a trip, if you wanted to do something like this. Then what are the what are the parts of the research process that you do when you're actually buying stuff? So what are the best areas to stay in or the best neighborhoods, um, the best tours and activities, things to do? I'm sure there's a lot more, but like those are some of the ones that are like pretty big in terms of like having some kind of search volume behind them. Okay. And then do you check search volumes um, as you're, I guess trying to title your your pieces yeah sure i mean actually like fun fact i did all of like the keyword research for this site using key search which is like a super budget keyword tool um it costs like 17 dollars a month and i think there's even like a discount code so you can get it even cheaper it's like so cheap um And that's all I, I mean, these days now I have an HREF subscription that will like, you know, bleed me dry one day when I get opted (laughs) into their new pricing model. Uh, (laughs) But, um, you know, I, I use like this super cheap tool to do basically all of the keyword research for all of the content that like, you know, is actually making money today. So don't need an expensive keyword tool, at least like, uh, that was my experience. So I do do uh, keyword research and I use keywords everywhere. Actually, I probably use this more than anything else because it's mm-hmm. just so like low friction to type into the search box and just kind of like get a feel of search volumes. Perfect. Sticking with the, the content area, you don't publish too often. So you can talk about why you don't publish too often. And you said you have 120 articles and you're not publishing much yet. You're still earning quite a bit. So where do you spend your time on content? Yeah. So I, I only update this site like roughly quarterly because in travel, um, freshness is really important. So if you're like less updated dates go too long without updating, you know, one people go to the page and they think, ah, this hasn't been updated lately. It's probably all wrong. Um, Mm which may or may not be true. So these days, if I'm going to be doing pretty much anything is uh, I do update the descriptions for uh, travel restrictions per country. So I have kind of like some reusable code for, you know, the different articles and I can update in one place saying, okay, here's the latest news on travel to Japan. It's not available yet, but they are, you know, doing X, Y, Z and we expect it to be available at this time. So I would lately I've been doing that about once a quarter to kind of like keep it up to date. So people, uh, you know, have the feeling that when they visit the post, it has some recent information. And if something is wrong, then I do try to, to update that. Um, but yeah, I just don't, I don't spend time on the site because it's not my, it's not my main business. 
and it would take a long time. Um, and yeah, I'm not particularly trying to grow it either. So uh, actually what I use it the most for besides generating some passive income is uh, as a testing ground. So all of like the beta code for Affiliate, um gets deployed there first. So if there were to be any kind of issue or something like that, you know, it would be detected uh, in advance. And it's really important to have like something with a meaningful amount of traffic and revenue, you know, so that you can continuously monitor that before anything goes live on like customer sites. So that's kind of like the motivation for maintaining it, even if it's not like my main focus, but uh, sure. Yeah. Quarterly updates. <laughs> That's okay. what I'm like aiming for. If I can like, uh, not forget about it. And then for those quarterly updates, is it like 25% of the content on the site quarterly, or are you saying like each quarter, like every piece of content oh. gets a refresh? Just curious. Like, I know you don't, won't know exactly, but uh -huh. how much do you go back to everything? Oh, that's a good point. I think it's more like updating the the main like pieces of content. I want as much as possible that the last updated date on the article is from the current year. Mm -hmm. So I might not make it to everything. So over yeah. time, I would try to kind of go back. But I would also prioritize this based on uh, where people are traveling now. Because the article is already out there and it's already ranking. So um I don't know. Let's say if people go somewhere like South Africa, for example, if people tend to go there more in Northern hemisphere winter, then I would take care of that in January or, you know, later in the year just to like, make sure, okay, it's updated before most people will be visiting this destination if possible. But to be honest, I'm not that organized. Like, yeah, I try, but it's really just more like egregious, things that are egregious or now inaccurate, or I receive emails from someone saying, this is now not available. <laughs> then I would like to try to like make it accurate, but uh, I don't okay. have that much time. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. Well, how much time do you, would you say you spend on the site? Just whatever interval of time you want to describe. Um, I would say like, maybe I'll do like one Saturday working on it per quarter. Sometimes the updates are, it's not always quarterly. I don't have like something in the calendar that says, now it's time to update this. Um, but, you know, especially when I'm looking at the metrics, I'm learning, looking at how much something is earning. I'm like, okay, maybe it's time to go in and apply some of the things that I've learned. Um, so for example, right now, I would like to get rid of like wasted Amazon recommendations. So one thing that, that, uh, some people do is write packing lists. Right. And I tried this, um, you know, okay, you need like a woolly cap. If you're going to go to Iceland in winter, for example, great. Uh, now I can get uh, 20 cents from Amazon. If you buy this fabulous. Uh, so I'm kind of trying where I have these like packing list sections in some of my posts, like if I happen to be updating that content, then I will probably just delete that because it's not worth it to me. And then, you know, go in and share if I took an experience and it's possible to book it online, then I would like prefer to include something like that as opposed to things like clothing and other like physical goods. So sometimes I do a little bit of that updating, but realistically I can't spend more than like one day every couple of months working on it. So, okay. Got it. Yeah. 
All right. So shifting over to the link building and sort of promotion area, have you done any link building sort of intentionally for the site or does it have many links going to it? Not that many. I think the domain rating on, on, uh, Ahrefs is like 30 or 31. So it's like, it's not that high at all. Um, I am like part of some link building Facebook groups. So bloggers do like, you know, link swaps, three-way link swaps and things like that. And I've done some of that. Um, but for the most part, I'm just way too lazy (laughs) and it's like, it's so much work you know, to like communicate with them. And then like, eventually what happens a lot is that in travel, when you're working with someone who has like a, a general travel site, like mine is general, eventually they will write the same piece of content as you and either remove your link. Or if they're really friendly, they might like write you a little message, be like, Hey, I'm removing your link. Just want to let you know. Um, and so I don't know. Yeah. I have like content that brings without links or like it just has those spammy links from people who copy the website and i really focus more on like really amazing images so like people just scroll forever because they see all the images they're like oh my god i want to go there um and then the content is long got it because it's comprehensive and i think my unproven seo theory is that that's uh, is more important. I wish I had more links, but then I also don't care. (laughs) So I just can't be bothered to negotiate for them. Yeah, no, that's great. Cause I mean, you're focusing on the part that you like the Mm -hmm. photography, the actual content and, uh, how many images would you say like on average, um, for some of your travel, well, they're all travel pieces, but yeah, Mm -hmm. how much, uh, how how many images? Yeah. It's a lot. So actually the way that I do the articles um, and this, cause I don't use WordPress. I think maybe we mentioned that last time I use a static site generator called Hugo. So it's easier. I can automate some of this. Mm-hmm. So basically what I do is I go into Lightroom and like choose all my images. Maybe it's like 30 or 40 images and I'll just export all of those. And then, you know, basically copy the pads and kind of automate putting them into the article and actually more like visually design the article first. Like what is going to be like the hook image where someone asks themselves, I want to know where that is. So they are like intrigued to like kind of dig deeper and like find out where that's going to be located. So that's kind of like how I think about it is I really, I visually design the whole, the whole piece, including the images and the, headlines and the structure first and then go in and kind of like fill it in later. Okay. I don't remember that you don't use WordPress. You use Hugo. Is that what you said? Yeah, that's what it's called. <laughs> okay. And for a minute, one, one thing, if people haven't listened to the other interview, Monica, you're a huge nerd. You're a, you have a CS degree. <laughs> is that right? I minored in computer science okay. because I failed calculus. <laughs> so okay. I did not make it. But uh, I got my degree in Latin instead. <laughs> Latin and then a minor in CS. Exactly. Okay, that's great. Because um, for a little while, when I was trying to speed up my WordPress site, I looked into some static, um, mm-hmm. con- I, I don't even know what you call it, uh, content managers. Yeah, CMSs, right? Some- uh-huh. Anyway, so it's I just a static a site bit. generator. Okay. There's no CMS, it's files. <laughs> oh, it's just files. And I was like, this makes sense to me. Um, mm-hmm. But then I never like dove in because I, f- I felt like it was just 
a rabbit hole that was like solving the problem too well. And then uh, like, I was like, I, I don't know. So did you ever use WordPress or you just jumped into Hugo? Yeah, no, I, I have actually for my personal site, like myname.com, I had WordPress and I found it so infuriating <laughs> that I replaced it with the static site. But yeah. these days I do actually have like a little WordPress website. It's like a niche photography site. I don't know how many visitors it gets, like a few thousand visitors a month. It has like six or eight articles. I'm not sure. But the reason it exists is because I had to teach myself WordPress because all of our customers use WordPress and they use like WordPress specific terminology that I'm like, this is, I don't know what this is, or like, okay. this is not technical term. So I have like a little one, but it's, it's like, it's for experimentation and breaking. So if it, something goes wrong, it doesn't really matter. Okay. But I don't run any like big WordPress sites now. All right. And no. then, um, that's funny. So what, just one or two infuriating things about WordPress. Oh, I tried to change my URL. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I tried to change my URL and it was like, all of these URLs are like hard coded in the database. And I was like, I don't want to like, I know how databases work. I, you know, but writing a migration to like go in or like using sketchy plugins. Like I think WordPress plugins are sketchy and, um, Security, like from a security standpoint, WordPress, all these WordPress plugins constantly have security issues. And if you know uh, anything like technical, from what I understand, a lot of uh, like WordPress plugins are like a wild west. They can just access all kinds of things with like, I mean, someone will correct me if I'm wrong, but like, you know, there's not like proper sandboxing of like data and like permissions and things like that. Which is, um, I mean, and they can't, they maybe can't even do that because they have so many legacy systems relying on the current behavior, which is I can do anything with any data whenever I want. And this is uh, obviously complete chaos. So I remember like fighting with the SEO at my like previous company when he was like, why can't we have WordPress? And I was like, like, you know, we're a, a you know, billion dollar fintech company. We cannot have our website getting hacked because you decided to install, you know, yeah. the latest cool uh, social sharing widget. And this happened to have like malware inside. <laughs> yeah. Which is so ridiculous. So anyways, uh, I have a WordPress, yeah. but uh, I don't and use it for anything serious. No. Yeah. I think if you're not technical, it's probably the best solution, but I am. So um, I also have a different website, actually the Affiliate website, it does use a headless CMS called Sanity. And this allows me to store the content all in a data format. So you can generate content a lot easier um, and reuse things kind of like blocks. Uh, I won't go into it too deep, but this is also like a great option that's not, uh, not static sites, but it does allow me to like outsource things. And on a website like what I have now, I can't outsource anything because they would need to go into the code, which is not feasible for average. Wow. Anybody. <laughs> yeah, that is um, whenever I start thinking about WordPress and all the things you described, which those are not even the gripes that I have. But okay. I'm, I'm not like, a real WordPress user. That's why. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's. Um, it all makes sense. And I'm like, if I started a new blog, I would probably do something, you know, static files, keep it simple, 
be really geeky and feel good about it, you know, and not have to worry about like a new, uh, whatever, a new version of like Yoast, just like trashing something like it did a couple of years ago. I think it was like 2017. There was some issue, but you didn't even, you didn't even care about it. So, okay. I mean, I create my own problems. <laughs> that's, <laughs> yeah. that's the alternative. <clears throat> So there are anywhere there's code involved, there are problems. Yeah. Uh, it's just that when you're dealing with your own code, that's sometimes better than trying to troubleshoot other people's code, which is the case with WordPress. Very good. Okay. So we'll, we'll bring it back on track. Um, as we're winding down, any mistakes that you made? And early on, you mentioned like, you know, you started writing you really didn't know any SEO. So that was kind of a minor mistake before you knew that you were doing anything uh, interesting, I guess. And I'm sure you made some others along the way. So any big ones or even minor ones? I'm trying to think about mistakes. I mean, the main thing is I just didn't start the site with the goal of monetizing it. So like, of course, if I was going to start a website today and that was my goal, I would do things differently. Um, and of course, it would also be a lot faster to make money from it again, if that was my goal. Um, but I also don't think it's bad to like start a project, like not with the goal of making money from it per se. It just means that most of the stuff you create up until that point is difficult to monetize retroactively, you know, unless you're going to rewrite everything, which can be, uh, it can be hard to motivate yourself to do that. So I don't know. I think, you know, if somebody is kind of like getting started today and they don't want to like make mistakes, um, I think it's totally, it's totally fine. If you don't know what you're doing at the beginning, most people don't like, and eventually you know, you end up with a site that is profitable. It just takes longer than you thought. Um, I don't know if that answers your question. I don't have any like huge, huge mistakes. Maybe I would feel that way. The one big mistake, but I can share mistakes other people make. <laughs> okay, that's good. <laughs> but but uh, for my own, I didn't, I luckily didn't make those. So, no major. Well, um, yeah. I think that's great because, you know, one of the pieces that gets people is they don't want to work on something if they don't know it's going to work. And it turns out mm -hmm. we don't know if like, even Nobody if you started knows. a new site and you know what you're doing now, like you don't know if it's going to work. You don't know if you can recreate what you've done, what you did before that was successful. You don't know if that's going to work in the future. Sure. You have a better chance because you've seen it work, but I think you were working on the site not thinking that you were going to get anything out of it. You were doing it for fun. You had, it, it was its own motivation to work on it with no like ROI. Mm -hmm. So I think it really, I mean, it highlights the fact that you had bigger opportunities in the future. So you're making like, you know, over 10 K per month from the site currently, which is amazing because it was just a little fun side project, but also, it impacted your life in a bigger way, which is one of our final questions here. And it led you to create, you know, uh, Filamate. So can you tell us a little bit about that and, you know, why you embarked on creating software? 
Yeah, sure. So as we established, or as you, Doug, have established, I'm a big nerd. Um, <laughs> and while I was finding, you know, ways to kind of over-engineer my website um, and, you know, make you more affiliate revenue, uh, I basically got to the point where I kind of wanted to understand which pieces of content were generating revenue. Um, and for anybody who is not like familiar with this, uh, when you create affiliate links, the vast majority of uh, platforms out there, you know, they'll allow you to add this extra kind of like tracking parameter and you can store whatever you want in there. Um, most commonly, people might put the name of the product or they might put the name of, a, of the article that the um that the link appears in because a lot of platforms just don't give you very much information about where the conversion came from. And maybe they can't because of certain settings that you have on your site. And so it was one of those cases where it's like, well, if I'm going to build something for myself to kind of automate this so that I could get this information across my whole site at once, maybe other people would need this too. Um, and of course, I naively went into this idea of like doing affiliate tracking, which by the way, is about a thousand times more complex than I thought it was going to be. Um, that's a whole nother rabbit hole. Um, but uh, what it means kind of like where we are today uh, is that, yeah, beginning of 2019, uh, started a uh, software company that builds affiliate tracking and reporting software that basically helps, uh, you know, anyone, content creators, media brands, uh, you know, website owners, uh, website investors, like, you know, anybody operating a content site monetized with affiliate marketing can bring in all the affiliate commissions and then attribute them to the page link and element level and give you some tools to kind of uh, improve the revenue of the content. There's a lot more there, but I will not like, <laughs> I will not ramble too much. But yeah, it basically came out of like, kind of scratching my own itch, as they say, whether that's good business advice, uh, you know, is left uh, as a as a question for the reader to ponder. Um, but uh, that's kind of where we are today. Yeah, now I use it on my own site. And uh, I could not I couldn't live without this information. <laughs> right. That's awesome. And you, you started it in 2019, you said? Yeah, exactly. Wow. February-ish. Yeah. Okay. So about three years. How did, how was it like, did you started a company before like this or? No, I never, I never started a company before. I had a couple of false starts building like other software uh, products, but never anything that launched and got users. So that was the first time, but like I've been working in software for like 10 years before at that point. So like in a more professional context. So I know how to like do the tools and things like that. It was still a learning experience, but I, I came gotcha. from an environment where this was professionalized. So I kind of knew a little bit about what I was doing. Got it. And how big is the team now? Cause I know it's been growing. Yeah, we are, I think six or seven people now. Wow. I, I'm not sure. Yeah. But okay. anyways, yeah. So yeah. it's, Either six or seven, uh, if I, maybe if I count myself or not is whether it makes a difference, but yeah. And who knows? Yeah. Uh, we're now at a, like a pretty comfortable team size. So goal is to kind of grow and get, become more profitable, obviously. And, uh, yeah, next year, 
hire some more strategic roles, more developers, I guess, Ugh, which I'm dreading <laughs> because they're expensive. Yeah. <laughs> but that's the name of the game when you're doing software. So, yeah. yeah. That's awesome. So if people want to find out more, they can head over uh, to your website. Uh, wh where should people find you? So easiest place for people to find me is probably Twitter. So at Monica Lent is my Twitter handle. You will find me there tweeting occasionally. Okay, cool. And then uh, in the other interview we did, I think we talked more about Affiliate. So if people want to get a little more background on it and like the users that can get the most value out of it, but check out the website. There's a lot of information there. It's a good blog as well. So I think, I think that's all I have. Uh, Monica, is there anything else that I forgot to ask you or anything else you want to share? I don't, I don't think so. Just, I hope, you know, if people are getting started that they, they realize that it's not maybe as easy as it looks with people sharing on Twitter, how much money they're making. There's always like a story behind that. Uh, and usually there's a lot more years uh, than it might seem. So I think the key is just not to give up. <laughs> That's my like inspiration, uh, like a conclusion for anybody who is maybe uh, in the earlier phases than where I am now. Uh, now, you know, it took at least six years to get here. Perfect. Thanks, Monica. And we'll catch up with you soon. Thanks, Doug. Thanks to Monica and be sure to check out Filamate, see if it's a good fit for you. I know in the first interview that we went through, I asked a few questions around who is a good candidate for a Filamate. And I have a hunch, you know, there's some people that don't have enough traffic or earnings yet to justify getting into that kind of uh, analytical detail. I honestly don't remember what the criteria was. However, you can go back and listen to that episode. Plus, of course, you can go browse around over on the Filamate and see if it's a good fit. One thing that is fun about these interviews is the different approaches that people take. And Monica is kind of, she's doing her own shit. You know, she started the blog. She did it for fun. She was going to be doing the blog for fun regardless. And then it ended up being a very profitable endeavor for her. It's something that spawned the business that is taking up, you know, her, her full time generally. And it goes directly uh, opposed to some of the other approaches. And I'm not here to tell you what's right or wrong. It's cool that Monica, like I said, she's doing her own, her own thing. She has her own approach to keywords and coming up with topic ideas. And it's driven through her interest more than anything else, even though she now has a greater understanding of keyword research and the importance of SEO on-page SEO and doing things right. It also flies in the face of the people that are trying to just use AI tools and not actually have an authentic blog. Again, I'm not here to tell you what's right. I will tell you I'm judging, right? I, I clearly judge people all the time. We all do. We can't help it. But some people are like, fuck it. I just want to publish things as quickly as possible. I don't care if it's accurate or not. I just want to like 
publish as much content as I can, get some ads on there, and maybe flip the site. A lot of people don't say that out loud, but that is what a lot of people are thinking when they're trying to just do things quickly. Again, I'm not here to tell you what's right or wrong. (laughs) I'm just here sharing stories. And I have to tell you, next uh, couple episodes, it's coming up pretty soon. I have it slotted for a couple weeks from now, like July 16th or so. So basically, I'm interviewing Bennett and he is getting traffic on a site already where he's using an AI tool that is what he described as basically a glorified article spinner. It's not one of the sort of premium uh, like AI tools, but he's publishing content. He's doing it in a quick manner and he's doing good keyword research up front, very low competition, publishing content quickly, and it's working out for him. He's kind of doing it as a test. He's not doing this on his main website, which is doing really well. He's just playing around and testing things. So there's many different approaches, and I try to bring you you know, different ideas and different ways to do it. And generally, I would say when you take an approach like Monica here, where she's writing about whatever she's interested in, knowing that some people are indeed searching for certain travel uh, ideas because she searched for similar topics. Like that has a lot more staying power in my opinion. And generally I've seen that work out better where it's a very slow burn, a very slow growth, methodical sort of approach refining the process over time versus, you know, doing something really quick. A lot of times, you know, if you can get huge results in a really short time, it means number one, other people can too. And it it usually is a little bit more volatile. So where Monica has been able to, you know, she mentioned publishing an article and she's like, it didn't really do anything for like a year and a half or two years. And then it, it started doing really well. And that is uh, some real patience overall. Anyway, I think I'll I'll leave it at that. Uh, Don't forget, I do have that episode coming up pretty soon with Bennett about the AI tool that he's using, ranking some keywords and ranking some posts within a month or so on a brand new site, brand new domain using essentially, you know, AI written content, very little touch-ups. So be sure you're subscribed to the show if you're not already, so you can get that episode coming out in a couple weeks here. So we'll catch you in the next episode and uh, yeah, see you later.